want to. There we go. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, it's been a while. I think it's about three or four months, probably longer than that since I preached. So it's good to be here. It's good to see you all. Um, I'm not quite sure what's going to come out of my mouth this morning. <laughs> not because I haven't prepared something, but just because as I was sat there on my chair doing the worship, sometimes you get this feeling like God's just like, I want to say something else. So I really don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. <laughs> I hope it's good. It will be. But um, yeah, let's start by praying. Ooh, God, I just uh, thank you for your presence. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are God and you are God alone. I thank you that nothing and no one compares to you, God. We could search the heavens high and the earth below and we can never find anything that compares to your peace, your presence, your joy, your love, everything that you are to us, God. You are so good. You are such a good father, Lord. You have loved us with an everlasting love. You pursue our hearts. You draw us after yourself. Even when we run away, you still leave the 99 and you chase us down because you love us. Oh, how you love us. How great is your love towards us. How great is your love towards us. We are so undeserving, God. We are stubborn and we're hard-headed and, and we're bitter and we're ungrateful. But you still, you still, you still, you still love us. Your mercy, God. We are so grateful for you. And I just ask that every heart and every ear be open to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. So at first, I thought I was going to preach about what worship is. And then I wasn't. <laughs> and I prepared something um, about just waiting on the Lord. And I don't feel like that's what I'm going to say this morning. I might get to it a bit later, but I'm probably not going to say it right now. But I feel like God wants to talk to us this morning about our hearts. And none of this is written down. <laughs> so, but lockdown has been challenging. But I believe that because we know that God works everything for his glory. We know that God allows everything to happen. Nothing can happen unless God allows it. And that might be a difficult thing to grasp because a lot of us have been through some really difficult situations. And to think that God allowed that to happen can put us in a place of tension because we like to see God as this good and perfect God, which he is. And sometimes we can't marry that with the things that we've been through in our everyday lives. But what we go through doesn't change who God is. And what we're experiencing doesn't change God's character. And in fact, what we're experiencing should make us understand more of God's character and more of God's person. Because as we go through those things 
and he uncovers what our hearts are really like, we can see him in all his glory and all his beauty and all his splendor. So one of the things that I believe God wanted to do in lockdown in the church was move our hearts away from the theatrics of church and the rigmaroles and the things we just go to church because this is what we do. And we show up on a Sunday and then somebody gets up and does a welcome and we all lift our hands for 20 minutes in worship and then we sit down and somebody talks to us for half an hour and we switch off and we come in and out of the preach because someone's going on, on our phone or not or we're thinking about what we're going to do after service or not. And then we go home and that's it. And what church has been good at doing is raising a communal altar or gathering of the saints. But because of that, we've left our family altars and the place of worship in our homes and in our own personal lives. And we've lost that space where we can cultivate the presence of God in our families and in our homes where we are. And I believe that through lockdown, one of the things that God wanted to do was remind us that the church is there for us to gather together to supplement what we should be doing in our homes, in our personal lives. Because now all of a sudden, we were faced where we were doing church with, we didn't have all the lights, we didn't have the loud music, we didn't have the atmosphere of church because you were sat behind a screen quite disconnected from the emotional things that go on around church and you had to do it and say, am I doing this for real or am I doing this just because this is what I do? And in being forced to do that, God was showing you or intending to show us where our heart truly is towards him. Because if your heart was right towards God, then it would have been no bother to sit and watch a service online every Sunday like you watch EastEnders or Coronation Street or I don't know, whatever, whatever else you watch. If you're like me, Paw Patrol. Because <laughs> I've got a two-year-old. <laughs> but God was saying, are you going to be different with me because church is different than how you're used to. Where is your heart towards me? Is your heart towards me only towards me because you can drive or walk and go and enter a building and you're, are you just caught up in the play, in the dance, in the games? Or is your heart truly called and drawn and fixed on me. And yes, we're allowed to gather back in the building, but church doesn't look the same. And I believe this is an extension of that challenge where God is just like, okay, you're back in the building, but it doesn't look the same. Where is your heart towards me? Is your heart truly on the savior of the world? the great I am? Or is your heart just saying, I've just done, this is what I do. 
Is this just a habit for you? Is this just what you do? Or is your heart truly focused and centered and looking towards Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith? Because I tell you what, God just doesn't want people who do this because that's what they do. He wants people that are pursuing him, that are longing after him because he has so much of himself to give us. But your heart has to be there. And I believe that God in this time is showing us that actually, if I can use the speech, you're not as Christian as you think. Because if you've, and yes, it's difficult. Lockdown's been difficult. And yes, it's difficult to, being around people helps and being in the fellowship of people helps because when you're a bit weaker, it will give you some more encouragement because somebody else is worshiping next to you. So I kind of pass the worship. But then has your worship been dependent on everybody else around you or is your worship your worship because you realize that God is worthy and irrespective if you're still in your PJs with a cup of tea sat on your couch or you're in a building and everyone around you is singing, have you still been giving God the same level of worship? Because God hasn't changed. His worth hasn't changed. Who he is hasn't changed. Who he is to you hasn't changed. And I believe this morning God is saying, and he's challenging you that in this time, I'm showing you your heart so you can come back to me truly and honestly. Because even at the minute, we can sing, but we're not singing as loud as we normally would. And that is difficult because it makes, it feels like your worship is more restricted. It feels like, it feels like your worship is more restricted. However, your heart on the inside of you should feel exactly the same because worship is your heart. It's not the actions that you're doing. The actions that you're doing in singing and dancing around is an expression of what is already going on in your heart. So if this feels too weird for you to the point that it's making you not want to worship in your heart, then I'm challenging you this morning and saying it shouldn't. This is a different expression of worship, but your heart should still be worshiping. So the expression of church has changed, rightly so, and I'd probably say it should have changed because one thing that we've become accustomed to in our day and age is just doing things because we do them. We're on the rat wheel, aren't we? You wake up Monday, you go to work, you come home, you cook the kids' tea, you go to bed. Tuesday, wake up in the morning, go to work, come home, kids' tea, go to bed. Wednesday, Sunday, we go to church. Like, we do things without thinking. We're on a revolving cycle, aren't we? We go to church, we come home, cool. Maybe, if I feel like it, I've got a life group in the week. Sometimes I can't be bothered, I just want to stay at home, whatever. But God is saying, no, let's flip church on its head to get it right. Let's get people's hearts right. So my challenge for you this morning is, what have you realized about your heart in the way you've done church? 
these past few months of a lockdown. That's my challenge to you when you go home. Think about the way you've done church recently and realize what that God is showing you about your heart through that. And if you need to repent, do it and get your heart right. Because we don't know how long we're going to be doing this for. Heaven forbid, but in four more months, we might be saying, all right, everybody's back in lockdown again and we're all at home. And even still, what have you done in your neighborhoods with your faith over this time? Because we can't gather as a church here, but I'm the church, you're the church. Have you had a neighbor that's been struggling with groceries or you know is like shielding? Do you have anybody elderly around you? And have you put a note? What have you done? Where's your heart towards the Lord? Where's your heart? What have your actions told you that's in your heart? Because we all know, most of us know the scripture, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. And all that means is whatever's in your heart will come out. So whatever action you've been displaying recently, that's because that's what's in your heart. My husband and I, we, we don't believe in this phrase, but someone goes, you know, people say, they say something, they go, I didn't mean it. No, you did mean it, because if it wasn't in your heart to say, it wouldn't have come out of your mouth. You may not have meant to say it out loud, <laughs> but it was in your heart. That's why it came out. So whatever your actions have been, that's your heart. And God wants to challenge us this morning and say, no, where's your heart? Where's your heart towards me? Where's your heart? Where's your faith? Where does your faith actually lie? And you know what? If it's been wrong, that's why we serve a merciful God. Because this morning he's getting alongside us and going, hey, I'm loving on you so we can get this right. He's walking with us through this challenge. He's not standing up here like a, a school teacher and rapping your knuckles. He's saying, come on, come on, get your heart right. I'm here with you. Do you know what? It's him that even gets our heart right. <laughs> so there's no condemnation. You don't have to feel bad because it's him that shows you that your heart needs changing. And it's him that actually changes your heart as well. All you have to do is say, Lord, I got it wrong. Please help me. I hope that's helped someone. So now I'm going to go to what I was actually going to talk about. <laughs> um, so I was going to read Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 14. Um, and this is the passage about the valley of the dry bones. And we read this passage, and we normally focus on the part where it's like, dry bones live, and the dry bones get up, and everyone's like, oh, wee, miracle, prophesy to the dry bones. Whatever's dry in your life, God's going to wake it up, <laughs> which is good. But this morning, I'm going to look at it from the other side and see what God wants us to learn about him through this passage and what God wants us to learn about ourselves. So I'll read. I'm reading in the English Standard Version if you're following along with me. So Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, 
and he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. And put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they said, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. I love this scripture. So let's start to unpack this. So verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit, and he set me down in the middle of the valley. So, God took Ezekiel in a vision and put him in this valley of dry bones. God placed Ezekiel in this valley of dry bones. Sometimes we're places that look like they are just drought all around us. And we go, why the heck am I here? What am I supposed to be doing here? But have we ever stopped to consider that sometimes it's God that places us in these places because of what he wants to do? Don't despise or look down on where you are or the season that you're in right now if your season feels like you're in a valley of dry bones because God has probably placed you there because of something he wants to do in you. Verse 3 goes on to say, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, only you know. So when I read this, it jumped out at me that 
God immediately with Ezekiel began to address the situation of where he was straight away. Now, we're British and we've got a stiff upper lip and <laughs> you know how we are culturally, but our culture dictates to us a lot of the times to ignore the elephant in the room. <laughs> you can see some stuff are going on and you're just like, I'm just going to pretend like that's not going on because that's not what we do. I lived in the States for a few years and I think I've picked up the American culture that's quite direct <laughs> and calling out the elephant in the room as anybody who knows me personally will <laughs> know. But our culture dictates to us that we pretend and we hide and we just crack on and we keep going. But the thing I loved about God here, he was like, I put you in this place, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. God is straight in there and he goes, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Nothing that God does in our lives, no season is wasted. He wouldn't be placing you where you are now if there wasn't something to address in your life and in your environment while you're there. God was straight in there like, what's going on? Let's talk about this. And Ezekiel's answer I found quite interesting because he goes, oh, Lord, only you know. And me, as I'm sure some of us would do, if God asked us a question like that, would have immediately jumped to trying to play God and fix and hypothesize the solution to that. So God would have said, fat man, can these dry bones live? And I'd have gone, well, God, in order for them to live, you would need to first um, put some flesh there and some bones, and then we need some blood. And then, but then how long have they been dead for? Because if they've been dead a really long time, then that probably means that there's not that much life. So I don't know, God, if they can live. Obviously, if you say they can live, then yeah, they can live. But a lot of us would have done that, wouldn't we? Jumped into this conversation where we're just like, maybe not sure Ezekiel just turns it and flips it straight back at God and said only you know how many times do we try and play God and hypothesize and fix situations and think of our own way out when all we need to do is put the ball back in God's court because he's gonna do it anyway so if you're like me I'd have spent probably seven days and six nights <laughs> seeking and praying and saying, well, God, if this was going to happen, you need to do this. And that means this has to be in order. And that means I have to do this. But I mean, that's going to change my family setup that looks like this. And God's not asking for our answer. He's really asking, do you know that I can do this with this valley of dry bones? So Ezekiel just goes, God, only you know. And then verse 4 goes on to say, and then God says, prophesy. So we first of all start with God putting him in a situation that looks destitute and dry and dead. We then move on to God saying, let's address the situation of where you are now. Let's call a spade a spade. Let's talk about where you are. Let's talk about what's going on. Because sometimes, I call it Christianese, sometimes as people who love the Lord, 
we speak Christianese and someone goes to you, how are you? Oh, I'm doing so well. God is so good. And you're not. You're lying. <laughs> you're not doing well. You're dying on the inside. God's like, let's talk about really what do you see around you? What do you see? A valley of dry bones. Good. Until you address the reality of the situation where you are, you can't invite God in to fix the situation where you are. Because if you're pretending, then what are you asking him to do? So we go on now, and then God finally says, prophesy. After we've addressed where he was. But before we got there, there were some stages that had to occur. And if you're anything like me, I'd have either had the response of trying to sort out the situation in my head, or my second response would have been, as soon as I got dropped in that valley, I'd have been like, Lord Jesus, let's call a prayer meeting. Everybody pray. We're in a valley of dry bones. Come on. Everybody pray with me. Pray with me. Pray with me. Pray with me. There's dry bones everywhere. But God didn't want him to start praying. God first wanted to address what was going on and how Ezekiel saw that. And he wanted to address if Ezekiel knew that to get these dry bones to live, it was throwing the ball back in God's court. And only after that did there come an instruction to prophesy. So if Ezekiel would have been dropped in that and started praying straight away, those dry bones probably wouldn't have come back to life because that wasn't the thing that needed to be done at that time. So then he says prophesy and he goes prophesy to the bones and God tells him exactly what to say. Verse 6 comes and he goes, I'll put all the flesh back on them, I'll put the skin on them. But then I love the end of verse 6 because it shows the reason why God does everything. And at the end of it, it goes, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Newsflash, God is for God. God is for God. God is for his glory. God is for us so much as it's for his glory. God doesn't just do things for us because he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be happy in his glory. He wants us to be happy so much as it's for his glory. One of my favorite quotes is, we have what pleases God and that should please us also. And that's a hard one to swallow because you can be in some really bad situations. But God is for God. And God does everything for his glory. So Ezekiel prophesied. God told him to prophesy over the bones. And then verse 8 comes on and it goes, And behold, I looked and there was flesh and there was skin, but there was no breath in them. Wait a second. God just asked Ezekiel to prophesy and say that these bones will live. Skins all come on them, but there's been no breath. Just wait. Because, again, if you're like me, I would have been, okay, God. What I would have done is go back and start looking in my notes and be like, wait, God, what exactly did you tell me to say again? Because I write everything down. <laughs> and I'd be like, but God, you said that I should prophesy. And then these bones will come to life, but there's no breath. And I'd be like, wait, maybe I said it wrong. 
okay. Then I'd go back and then I'd jump into my trying to fix it mode. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I didn't do this, maybe I didn't do that. But Ezekiel just waited. And God then said, now prophesy to the breath. The first time it was prophesy to the bones. Now it was prophesied to the breath. And this is why it's so important that we wait to hear exactly what the Lord would have us do and say in every situation. Don't jump into trying, things, trying to fix things ourselves because God will give us exactly the right order in which we do things. So then we go to verse 9 and he prophesied to the breath. And after that, if you go on from verse 10, it says, So I prophesied as he commanded me. As he commanded me. And breath came into them. And they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy again and say to them, Thus says the Lord your God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Again, God's showing you, I'm not doing this for you, I'm doing this for my glory. When I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. All these processes happened, and the breath came back into these bones, and then the army And this army would not have arisen unless Ezekiel followed the process in exactly the right steps that God would have had him do it. Some of us are calling for breath in our situations where God still wants us at this stage of addressing the elephant in the room and just realizing that that you are in a valley of dry bones. Don't call for breath yet. You don't even understand what you're dealing with. Some of us are jumping straight forth to saying, Lord, the army, let the army arise, let the army arise. And God is just like, hey, I need you to prophesy to these bones. You're not there yet. You have to follow God's sequence and his plan in the way that he would have you following them. And then you come to verse 11 to 14 and God shows Ezekiel the significance of what these bones mean. So let's break it down a bit further. So we've got bones are for movement, support, structure, protection. Your bones in your body, they protect your lungs. They keep you stood upright. If I didn't have any bones, I'd be a blob on the floor. And these bones went on to be a great army. So what's this valley of dry bones actually all about? The valley of dry bones were the hopes and the dreams of the children of God. So this means to me that, because this was a vision, so this means to me that what God was trying to show Ezekiel is that the children of God were without hopes. They were without support. They were without structure. 
They had no movement. They had no fluidity because all their hopes and their dreams were dry bones laying somewhere, waste in a valley. And some of us here today, we feel like a blob on the floor because our hopes and our dreams and our passions feel like they're just dead somewhere in a valley and not within us. If you're not moving, if you're not structured, if you lack protection, then I would probably say to you, you have dry bones somewhere in the valley. But when the structure was put in place, when Ezekiel realized that, no, I am in a valley of dry bones, there's drought here. When he put the ball back in God's court and said, Lord, you know what to do, so I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to try and figure this out on my own. When he prophesied to the bones and waited again. And he prophesied to the breath and waited again. On the army arose, then the hopes and the dreams of all the children of God came back to life. So I'm here to challenge you this morning that in the areas that you feel like things aren't moving, look to your valley of dry bones. Because they're your hopes and your dreams are probably there. If there's areas in your life where you feel like there's no structure, look to your valley of dry bones. Have you started raining down fire from heaven and calling breath and God saying, I just need you to first realize there's a valley of dry bones that needs to be addressed. And once you do that, then we can move on to other things. But it all starts with just waiting and hearing what God is saying. Moving on his time, on his agenda, on what he wants to do at a specific time, on what he wants to say. Because guess what? Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. But if we don't wait, if our mind is running zero to 100 in two seconds, <laughs> then we're not going to wait. Or we jump straight to prophesying over something else when God is just saying, just stay here for a second and realize what's going on. You're in a valley of dry bones. The army arises, our hopes and our dreams, the structure, the movement, the protection, all that comes into order once we realize that, God, you know, and I'm going to wait. Because even the example of Jesus in scriptures, sometimes it is right to just react straight away. But very rarely did Jesus do that. Most of the time, the Bible talks about how he would go and he would watch and he would say something quietly. God is an intentional, intentional God. He's not haphazard. He just doesn't react and go, oh, wait, okay, cool, cool. Uh -uh. No, he waits and he watches and he speaks at exactly the right time. And that's what we need to do in our valley of dry bones. Wait. Address the bones. See what God is saying. Know that only he has the power. Prophesy exactly as he commands you. And for prophesy, you can throw anything in there because sometimes God doesn't want us to prophesy. Sometimes God just wants us to stand still and see the salvation of our Lord. 
Don't just always jump into warrior mode where you're praying and praying and praying and calling prayer meetings or you just flat out on your face. And sometimes God is just saying, let's just talk about what's really going on. So my challenge for everybody today is to just wait. Just wait. Realize where you are and what's going on where you are. Because this story was about God resurrecting the hopes of a generation, the hopes of the children of God, the hopes that had been dead. God was like, it's time to raise these things back to life. So I hope that's blessed someone this morning.